Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and goes reporting for duty here on a Sunday night for your Monday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts, including the results from two big cards that took place this past weekend. One, Fight Night 10, headlined by Demetrius Johnson and Adriano Marias. This is one championship's um, debut on U.S. soil. That took place in Colorado, so we'll go over that card. And then, of course, UFC 288 in Newark, New Jersey. Sterling versus Cejudo. That was your main event there. And uh, we're, we're going to definitely unpack that card. Since most of you are familiar with the UFC, we'll spice some more time on that one. No disrespect to one championship who had themselves a fine night of fights. Hybrid card and all. And uh, there was some interesting fights, you know, with some fighters that you're well aware of. So we'll we'll definitely spend a little bit of time on that. And, of course, we'll discuss all the latest news in the sport of mixed martial arts. All right. We'll reset and we'll be right back to start the show. I like going in chronological order. UFC 288 was a massive card, historical in many sense. We're going to start there. Aljamain Sterling defeated uh, Henry Cejudo in the main event to cap off a fine night of heights. Not the most spectacular, not the most uh, crowd-pleasing, or there's probably many adjectives I can use to describe an, uh, an incredible card that wows us, right? But this one was different. There was some chess matches. There was some side plots. There were some funny moments, and uh, anyway, with, with, with Sterling and Cejudo, I, I can't thank both of these fighters enough for what was really, really a, a high-speed human chess match that had us on the edge of our seats because rounds were tough to score. Uh, anyone that I was either watching on Twitter or whether I was talking to Goes or Austin, uh, we were all just like, what is going on? How do you judge that? I mean, they went back and forth. They took each other down. They fought off takedowns from each other. They hurt each other with strikes. They switched stances. Their cardio held up. Um, it was really, really an impressive display by both guys. And frankly, all we saw was 48, 47s. And I was fine with either guy getting the 48 and the 47. I had a feeling it could be a split decision. I had a feeling it could be 2-2 going in around five. It was one big mystery. But at the end, I was very satisfied. And, of course, the phrase will go to Algerine Sterling, who now notches his third title defense, defeating the former champ, Henry Cejudo, coming back after a three-year layoff. It was a close fight. I had no problem with the decision. How about you guys? What did you think of the, the, the main event there for USC 288? The main event was interesting because there was so much going on that you – you couldn't look at it like it was almost like you were going moment to moment. You would just forget about what happened the round before or whatever. It had my attention. And I'm not going to say it was the greatest fight of all time, but it also wasn't a dud. Uh, but it was a little frustrating for me because I think both fighters fought a little bit out of character. Mm -hmm. They did. 
they did things that made me want to pull my hair out at times. But then uh, it was just good to see Triple C back. That was fun. And Aljamain Sterling is quietly becoming one of these, uh, I don't want to say superstars, but you know he's he's a big deal for the UFC. Even though the UFC doesn't treat him that way, um, mm-hmm. I think he is. But that fight had a lot of different emotions coming out of me uh, throughout the night. Yeah. Um, you know, Cejudo was slowly and quietly creeping on some of the greats, some of the lists that we all tend to come up with, whether it's just Bantamweights or Mount Rushmore's, pound for pound. Uh, you know, uh, I think these even got a label, rightfully so, as the greatest combat sports athlete ever. And he's all he's accumulated all this very kind of quietly along the way. Yeah, he's got the whole cringe stick going. Um, and if you can get past it, he's really a fun fighter to follow. He makes things interesting by putting himself out there, whether it is cringy, uh, sometimes it's actually funny. And then sometimes he's just serious, man. He's a serious customer. Like he really looks like he's maybe one, if somebody had the ability to hypnotize the guy, it seems like you could almost turn him into a savage, like, uh, some guy that. Could, could be a serial killer. I mean, he really knows how to just turn switches on, right? He's mm-hmm. he's pretty fascinating, honestly. I, I find him very fascinating. And um, so for Sterling, this is a huge, huge win. And Cejudo performed well enough that even though it was three years and I did see some rust early on and some hesitancy, at the end of the day, I saw a great mixed martial artist in there competing against Aljo, and he almost pulled it off. Listen to these judges' scorecards, goes. In round one, we all felt like Sterling won, and all three judges agreed. Michael Bell, Derek Clearly, and Eric Cologne. These are names that we're all familiar with. We can't even say, oh, they're not in Nevada. Judges be tripping. You know, these are all judges that have, that have judged title fights and have judged many MMA fights. So now round two comes. And a lot of us thought it could be 1-1, but we left an opening that Sterling may have also won that round, and it could be two rounds to Sterling, zero to Cejudo. But we thought 1-1 was the most likely. And sure enough, that's how the judges had it. Bell had 10-9 Cejudo. Clearly, Cleary, excuse me, had 10-9 Cejudo, but Cologne had 10-9 Sterling. So Cologne did have Sterling up 2 nothing going in around three. And remember, even the even the um the uh coaches, Sarah told Aljo it could be one one. Eric Albadasin told him I need the next three. So he left an opening that it could be Sterling two zero. They were just as confused as we were. We get to round three and that was a Cejudo round. All the judges agreed. I think all of us kind of did as well. And so now Michael Bell has it 2-1 Cejudo going into round four. Cleary has 2-1 two, two, uh, Cejudo going into round four. But Cologne has it 2-1 Sterling going into round four. We get to round four. Sterling won it. I think we were all pretty unanimous in agreeing that that was also a Sterling round. And so now on two judges, it is 2-2 going into round five. And it's 3-1 on Sterling for Sterling in one judge going into round five. 
So really, Cejudo's drawing dead on that judge's scorecard. He would need a finish. But I remember, I remember after four rounds on the watch along, we said, "Hey, this is all one fucking big mystery." So both of you should go out there and try and finish, right? Because you don't know what may be going down here. But at the same time, if you're not gonna finish, for sure win the round. Because like you were saying, goes, it it was a chess match. But there were moments where you feel like both fighters could give you more and they were either holding back or they were too tactical or they had too much respect for each other's techniques. And so there was these lulls, right, where there was moments of time where neither guy was scoring and then all of a sudden they would tee off on each other. That I found the fight fascinating in, in that way, in that regard, uh, where just those lulls kind of had you thinking, like, what, what could they be thinking? What are they doing? Are they saving themselves? for that one last run or what. And in the end, round five, on two judges' scorecards, Cologne, who had Sterling up 3-1, three, three, Kige Cejudo round two. So it didn't matter. Sterling already won 3-2. On uh, Bell's card, it was 2-2 two, two going into round five. He does give it to Henry Cejudo. And on Cleary's card, he went against the grain. He went against the other two judges, and he gave it to Sterling, whereas a lot of us at home, and the other two judges gave it to Cejudo. But if he gives it to Cejudo, Cejudo's the new champ. It was that close. If Cologne gives round two to Cejudo, which a lot of us at home did give, and so did the other two judges, Cejudo would be champ. So there's a couple ways where Cejudo could have realistically been champ. Now, here's the weird thing, goes. On the media scores on MMA decisions, there must be at least 25, almost 30 calls for Sterling. Four of them are 49-46, which means four rounds to one Sterling. But most of them are 48-47, which is three to two Sterling. And only two outlets gave it to Cejudo. So it's overwhelmingly 48-47 on most people's cards at home, Sterling, 3-2. Um, and again, two of the judges gave it to Sterling. So it was really, really fascinating in that regard because of the mystery involved and everything that was happening as the fight was unfolding. It was a nightmare of a fight because a lot of these rounds were decided, in my opinion, in the last 30 seconds or last minute. So that's what made it so difficult to go back and remember, well, wait a minute. In round one, I was actually giving the round to Henry Cejudo at one point. Aljamain Sterling won that, in my opinion, in the last minute, the way he poured it on. Um, so it was just a weird feeling but I, I ended up giving Aljamain Sterling rounds one, three, and four. Uh, I gave Henry two and five, but I can't remember if it was three or four that was kind of like on the border where you could where you could do something like that. I could tell we were going to get nutty scorecards, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't think... I feel like it would have been more... I would have had more problem with the decision had it gone to Henry than I did having it for Aljo. But it's so weird because I feel like both fighters could have done more, could have could have fought differently. Like I thought even though this is probably a, a boring thing and people probably won't like this take, but I thought Aljamain Sterling gave up so many positions where Henry Cejudo could have just controlled him and maybe tried to tire him out a little bit and just kept him in that spot and won rounds. Uh, when he was on all fours, but Henry mm -hmm. would elect to stand up. 
mm-hmm. or he or he would he would just disengage and i i really didn't understand that tactic and then on the flip side Aljamain Sterling just kept going for takedowns when he really didn't need to because he was winning the stand-up. It was it was an odd, odd fight. It really was. And can you point to some ring rust for Henry? I'm sure you can. But it's also difficult to, to figure out what actually is ring rust and what's just a guy getting older too, right? We I mean, I don't care who you are. Three years, you're gonna mm. your body's gonna work a little different, you know, especially once you're getting up in age. So it's hard to tell uh, that that fight was all over the place, but this was a solid win for Aljamain Sterling, something he needed for his resume. For sure. And even though some people might say, well, you, you got this guy for three year layoff. It's like, well, okay. I mean, he's still an all time great and he wasn't rusty for long. I mean, the fucking guy went to a split decision. So yeah, Sterling has, um, you know, he has a lot of haters, but hopefully he created some fans. Um, he's starting to embrace the heel role a little bit, and against O'Malley, for sure he'll be the heel. But here's the significant strike count for each round. In round one, Sterling had 20. Cejudo had seven. That's the round that Sterling won 10-9 across all the judges' scorecards. In round two, Cejudo had 31. Sterling had 29. But... This is the round where one judge gave it to Sterling. Not to say that the significant strike count is what decides it all. I'm just saying. Round three, 26 for Sterling, 15 for Cejudo. And this is a round that all of the judges gave to Cejudo. So this one had some grappling involved, some takedowns. Then we get to round four. Sterling 36, Cejudo 19. We all agreed that Sterling probably won that round. And round five, the one where, again, there was an opening there for Cejudo to steal a a split decision, he did win the significant strike count, 27 to 24. Both guys got takedowns on each other. Both guys, um, you know, hurt each other but not knocked each other down. They... uh, Henry wore the damage a little bit more, but I just think that has to do usually with a lighter skin fella is just going to show the damage a little bit more. They have a little bit thinner skin. We've seen it with GSP and Fedor. Those guys used to put beatings on people with, when you looked at them at the end of the fight, they, you know, if you just gave them a noogie, they might get what's called mm-hmm. like an Indian burn or a bruise. And so I, I've never gone, never gotten too fallen too in love with, you know, like, that he deal. did have swelling though too, right? Mm-hmm. He did have swelling though too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Sterling had more significant strikes overall than Henry. He had 135, and Henry had 99. And uh, Aljo was more accurate. He was landing at a 64 percentile. Henry at a 56 percentile. I mean, Sterling. Look, he he ticked a couple boxes. I don't think anyone can question him. Across 25 minutes, he looked like he was in great shape. Um, Cejudo maybe didn't push the pace like he could have, but it looked to me like Aljo would have been fine. Um, Mm -hmm. So championship rounds, you know, remember on two judges, he was down 2-1 going into round four, and he rallied and and turned that around. So you got to tip your hat to Sterling. And Henry's been nothing but complimentary towards Sterling. I can appreciate that as well. 
Um, but you just see the competitor in him, man. He's like, man, if I'm not first, I might as well be last. Luckily, he didn't do anything rash, like retire again, even though the gloves are off. He said he wanted to think about it. All I have to say is this. He looked like the number two welterweight in the world to me. So if he needs a fight or two to get back in there and have another shot at Aljo, I think he should stick around if he loves training, if he doesn't mind the weight cut, and if he just likes throwing down against somebody, being a prize fighter for, you know, making a lot of money to do what others can't do. Man, I think there's a way for him to work his way back to a shot at the champion. We saw what happened one time when Demetrius Johnson finished him. Then Henry went out and got himself some wins, and then he came back and beat Demetrius Johnson. So Henry bouncing back off losses, he's been pretty, he's been a stud, you know. We'll see. And on Aljo's side, he's now won nine in a row. And that again is three title fences. You gotta give that man his respect. Yeah. Um I think he's been overlooked in a way. And I'll be honest, I think Henry Cejudo may have overlooked him a little bit as well. Uh in this fight. He just seemed to be caught off guard a little bit. But uh Aljamain Sterling, it's it's difficult with this guy, man. I I think the good thing for him is I feel like he's gotten over the hump. I think Henry Cejudo was the hump. Uh, because after that, the biggest challenge, in my opinion, out there is a guy he's never going to fight, right? In Devalishvili. Um, But all the other guys have kind of somewhat been erased. And the guys that are left, I mean, yeah, Sean O'Malley. But, I mean, didn't a lot of people feel Sean O'Malley lost to, to Peter Yan, right? Like, I remember the night of, we were all ready to throw up upon further review. It was a little closer than we thought. But, uh I don't know. I feel like Aljamain Sterling shouldn't really have too many problems unless Sean has made a significant improvement in the last couple of months. Now, at the same time, I'm kind of feeling what Sean said. I think he pointed out exactly what we were talking about in the intro is this wasn't your best, uh, your best performance either. You know, you got the win, but I don't think people's jaws were dropping or, or people are ready to call him the goat or anything like that. So it makes for an interesting fight. Um, but yeah, Aljamain Sterling, I think, kind of got over the hump a little bit here in this fight. Yeah, you know, I would argue that Sanhagen 2.0, meaning the Sanhagen that has been fighting after the Aljo loss. Remember that mm-hmm. quick sub he, he took when when, yeah. when Sterling beat him? I think that's a more dangerous fight, honestly, than O'Malley. I think O'Malley's tough. I mean, you know, I, I, he's definitely a top five guy, but I, I think Sterling can get to this guy, get him down, and be a problem for him on the ground. Um, I, I, I'm more anxious to see Sanhagen get his second shot and Cejudo maybe work himself to a second shot. But I just don't know if Sterling wants to hang around that long. Doesn't look like he's he wants to break it. any records. I mean, Dominic has five title defenses. Maybe he can tie them. Um which would be two more, but, you know, to still get to what DJ and John Jones and GSP and Anderson did, you got a ways to go there, but it's not like he's saying, I want to retire. What he's saying is he wants to go up to 45 and test himself against Volkanovski. I'm not sure that the Sterling that fought on Saturday could beat Volkanovski, um, but Sterling keeps getting better. Does he really want to do that though? Like in your opinion, do you think that's what he really, what I think he wants is money. I think he knows there's more money in a fight fighting a guy like Volkanovsky 
than there would be me defending my belt back at 135. And I have to kind of agree with him. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a failure. True. But I think it's a little bit of a failure on the UFC's part because you got to make that belt be worth something, right? If guys are just going to be passing that belt around and just just to make more money fighting in, in other weight classes, then guess what? You're starting to sound a little bit more like something that you constantly talk about not wanting to sound like, and that's boxing. That's what happens in boxing a lot, right? So if I'm Aljamain Sterling, man, I, he's not that far away. A couple more defenses, and depending on who they are, like he can really establish a very good legacy as a bantamweight um, in the scheme of things of that division. If he goes up and wait, I don't think he, I mean, I don't think he'd do bad, but there's nothing in that performance for me that screams he's got something for Volkanovsky. This is true. However, I will say this. Um, he's being pretty honest with us. That weight cut seems to take its toll. I think his words were, that, wow, that was a tough one. Even though he came in at 134, he said that weight cut was tough. You know, Henry had been teasing him, saying, you're not going to make weight. You don't look good. And and to Aljo's credit, A, he came in at 134, not 135. He went 25 minutes. He was in good shape. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this is some posturing, some leverage. Uh, and he's looking for bigger paydays. Who knows? He's going to get a nice payday against O'Malley. And then whether it's Sanhagen working his way back or Cejudo, those could be decent paydays for him as well. But um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if he could negotiate himself pay-per-views as a title challenger versus Volkanovski. So we'll see. Volkanovski, he's going to fight Yair. Yair. What if Yair beats him? Then that's all done. Um, and then Volkanovski could possibly move up and fight Makachev at some point. We'll see. So so many things can happen. Right now, Dana White's saying Sterling versus O'Malley in August in Boston. If both guys want to do it, they'll do it. That's only three months away. I wonder if Sterling could negotiate something there. Like, hey, man, like this is a quick turnaround for me. But I think I think he's going to get paid well with O'Malley. So he may just want to do it. I don't know. But he, um, he looked fine. Uh, by the way, Dana was already saying that he thinks it may have been a bad idea to see these two guys face off. I couldn't disagree more. I thought that the UFC executed it perfectly. The one thing I'll say is sometimes the champion just wants to breathe. He just had a fight. He's got the belt. He's been away from his family. He wants to be with his family. And the last thing some, some of these guys want is some guy jaw jacking in your face. What's up? I'm next. You know, it's like, bro. I just thought, let me enjoy this. Let me do my post-fight. Let me say what I got to say. But it was Sterling that brought up Sean O'Malley. He brought him up. He insulted mm-hmm. him. And O'Malley having to be there. So I think at that point, Dana White can go, hey, bro, you asked for him. Here he is. We had our face off. Security was on point. Those guys were there. They got real close. And then they broke it up just at the right time. And then we also had that classic moment of Marab Devalashvili showing up you know, all of a sudden wearing O'Malley's jacket, which, by the way, that kind of turned into something I, I I heard on the, behind the scenes. I guess he jumped on the on the mm-hmm. uh, rail. There's and some good footage. Of it. But what are you gonna do? Like, how do you you can't 
I thought that was funny that Duvalis really did that. I think O'Malley should just go, man, that was good. I'll just give him that. O'Malley's kind of been twisting it. He's been calling him his coat boy or rack boy or something like that. And so he's having a little bit of fun with it. But, oh, man, I'm glad the UFC did it. They already have themselves that viral moment to build up the next fight. I can't, I, I honestly wasn't feeling like I don't understand what what could have been bad about that. It probably got a lot of people fired up. It's a storyline. Mm-hmm. Um I, I didn't see anything wrong with it at all. Like I, I know pro wrestling gets brought up a lot, but look, man, we're not pro wrestling. It, it's very obvious. You gotta be a moron if you tune in and think that's actually happening. All they were doing was selling more pay-per-views. That's good for mm-hmm. those guys. It's good for the company. It gives the fans something to look forward to. How many times did we hear Aljamain Sterling say they don't promote him that well? I mean, I, I thought they promoted him pretty well here. I thought uh, bringing Sean O'Malley in w- was brilliant. And yeah, you know, the, the thriller jacket behind the scenes was hilarious. I wish Devalish Vili would have took off with it. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been even funnier. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I gave that moment a 10. Yeah, me too. Fun fight, man. Let's talk about the co-main event with Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. So this one also went five rounds. This is what they negotiated at the last minute, the fight that was put, put together three three uh, weeks ago. And uh, Bilal Muhammad defeated Gilbert Burns via decision. There was what appeared to be a, an injury on Gilbert Burns' left hand, left wrist, left forearm. He was dinged up pretty good. And Bilal, it took him a while, but he finally caught on to what was happening, and he switched his stance and he started attacking that side a little bit more. But the scores were pretty one-sided. There was a 50-45, two 49-46s. I don't think any of us really disagreed with that. Burns still packs that one power, one punch power, and he was swinging wild, but he was swinging like, hey, if one of those were to, were to land, well, Muhammad could be you know, in some trouble. I don't know. Muhammad's been showing a good chin over his career, and he's wasn't really getting hit flush necessarily, but he did get tagged a few times. So... This fight, I think, could have been a little bit more, but I'll give these guys a pass. One guy coming off Ramadan, three weeks' notice. He went to full five. Hey, look, man, that guy risked his eight-fight win streak. Respect. And then Gilbert Burns, he wanted to stay active. This is his third fight in 2023, and we're only, what, four months and six days in 2023, and this was his third fight. So that's three weight cuts, three training camps. You know, He's been through a lot, but... He uh, he came up short here. He he rolled the dice a little bit, but he came up short. So anyway, congrats to Bilal Muhammad. What did you think of the Coleman event? I don't care what anybody says. There's a difference between signing on the bottom, the dotted line. I am training for a five round fight, and whatever you give that camp to later notice, not exactly late notice, but later notice, and having a five round fight. It's just different. And I think that kind of played out in the fight a little bit. You know, if you look at it, you might say, all right, maybe Bilal could have done a little bit more. But I understand. He's probably thinking, man, I hope I have the gas tank to make these five rounds. I'm, I'm fairly confident that I do. But And the other guy's in the same situation. But uh, it's just different. It's a different feeling when you have all that time to prepare. So I understand why that fight went the way it did. When, when I was talking about uh, earlier in the night, with pulling my hair out. This is another one of those fights. I didn't understand Gilbert Burns. This is not his first rodeo. 
but he was pretty much telling the other corner what was going on, right? As soon as the round is over, you see him kind of like throw his arm up like, I, I can't move my arm. That's why this is happening. It's still early in the fight. You know, don't tell the other fighter what's going, what's wrong with you. Don't keep repeating it. Don't keep shaking out your arm or, you know, all that. I mean, I know it's tough to do. It's easier said, said than done. But I just felt like he was kind of just giving things away. And Henry Hoof was doing a great job, an excellent job of trying to bring him back to earth, right? Okay, one arm's not working. You got another one. You got two legs. Let's try and kick our way, you know, to something special here. Uh, but Gilbert was just kind of hanging his head. And, and and the point that I'm trying to get to is it's the point that you kind of made that I think also will apply to Aljamain Sterling. And it's, I don't know that it makes much sense to take these this many fights in a short amount of, of, of time like that. I think it just finally ca- kind of all just came crashing down on Gilbert Burns. And that could potentially happen to Aljamain Sterling. You know, I know things are set up where you can make a lot of money and all that. But that might be something he might want to look at. I just feel like maybe Gilbert's body broke down. And in the process, mentally, he broke down a little bit. And um, that, that's just a tough thing to do. But but honestly, I was getting kind of upset that he was just letting this, uh, letting Bilal know, you know, this, this is what you got to do to beat me. Right here. This is where I'm hurt. Go ahead and do that. I've seen fighters keep that uh, secret a little better than that night. Yeah, do you think maybe he was trying to stay face with the crowd? Because the crowd was booing at that time. And the crowd was probably 75-25, maybe even closer to 80-20 in favor of Burns. Maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Sometimes fighters will kind of do that, you know. Um, they're frustrated and, you know, they're not accomplishing what they wanted to accomplish. So maybe that was his way of just sending a message, hey, I'm not 100%, but in the meantime, you're right. Basically uh, revealing, you know, letting someone come into your huddle so that you know what, what the next play might be. You're, you're, you're basically feeding them bits of information, you know. But mm-hmm. um, as far as Walaam Muhammad's concerned, you know, like I said, I can't say enough about him. He definitely didn't have to take this fight, but the poor guy... He's just stuck behind an eight wall. Um, if he didn't take this fight, like UFC 288 wasn't anything personal to him. It's not like he's from New York. He had to save the card. He could have just not taken it and pretty much still possibly be next for the winner of Covington versus Edwards. I guess he might be scared that if Burns won, Burns would kind of jump behind Covington in the queue just because he's doing the UFC some solids. I kind of have a problem with that because just because you do the promotion solids, it doesn't mean you get title shots, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that was that's kind of how the company does make you feel a little bit, you know. So maybe some pressure was on Muhammad. Hopefully, both guys were able to leverage it into good paydays, and uh, and maybe this time off will do both guys some good. But uh, we're in this we're in this situation because of I believe a mistake the UFC did, and that's going with Colby Covington, who just hasn't fought in a while. Mm-hmm. There's a I've always said if you know if you're Bilal Muhammad, you have to sit back and say, all right, well this happened, but tell me what I did wrong and what I need to do going forward to avoid this situation. And I don't feel like the UFC has an answer that they could give him. Um, he, he kind of got punked, man. 
it, it really sucks. It really does, because what he's done is tremendous. And with this Burns victory, that's like your signature win amongst all that. Um, it, it really does suck that he's going to have to go through this. I didn't even understand why he was getting booed in, in New Jersey, but maybe Burns is just more popular than I thought. Or maybe there's Covington fans out there, or or maybe he just gets a little bit of the Muslim hate. I don't know. I like Willow. I, I I would think he would come off as a very likable fighter. He's pretty funny. He does good when he's an analyst on the set. You know, um, he, he just you know he's a crack up on Twitter. He does his his bully picks. Um, I, I I don't know. I was surprised that he would get that kind of a reaction from the crowd. But anyway, he won and that's good. And for him, and, and like I say, he, he says he doesn't want to be a substitute. So even though we're going to discuss this tomorrow, on any back click, I just, I'll give you some quick thoughts because we do have different people that different, that listen to different shows. He says he doesn't want to be a substitute. So my advice to him is since the next fight's not till October, if your body can take it, Get in there and fight someone on the same card so you can kind of technically be insurance, but at the same time, you're fighting if the champ- if the title fight doesn't need you. You know, you're fighting someone and you're staying busy and you're staying active. I would advise that than rather than just sitting there not, not being the sub and waiting for the winner of that fight. You, you just never know how that can go down. You, maybe the sub scores points while you're sitting on the sidelines, who knows? But uh, that's what I would advise them. I think that's the best horrible advice you could possibly give. And it's unfortunate because you're right. Nothing is guaranteed. You know, it sounds good. Yeah, just sit back and wait and let everything you've already been through enough. You didn't even have to fight this fight. You know, it's a shame that you had to. Um, We all want to tell them to just kind of sit back and, and the UFC will reward you, but things just don't play out that way. And nothing's guaranteed. So, yeah, that's probably the best advice he could get. But at the same time, it just you just feel horrible even having to say it. For sure. We'll see how this plays out. The champ don't want Covington, but the champ doesn't seem to have the juice to sway the executives to go in another direction. I think the, the executives have dug, dug their heels in, and it will be Covington versus Edwards at some point. It probably won't be the Boston card. I don't think so. I think Aljo and O'Malley can carry that. So maybe they're going to start looking at September. Um, or maybe, I guess, October, like 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 they said, in Abu Dhabi. They might go back with this one. Who knows? We know November is already Jones versus Miocic, it appears like. So I don't know. I'm just trying to fill in some blanks here. Um, Jan Jonan defeated Jessica Andrade. This was the only finish on the main card. The other four fights went to a decision. She starts there in round one. This was Andrade's third fight in 2023, much like Gilbert Burns. She just came up a little bit short. We were talking about this on the watch along. It's three fights in four months and six days, just too much, maybe. I don't know. I mean, Andrade went out there. She threw down. She got hit. I felt like maybe she 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 could have went just a little bit longer. But in the end, Yan Jonan looked great too. I gotta just pivot to her. 
and appreciate her for what she did. And we might have ourselves a China versus China title fight at some point in the future. She she earned that. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at Jessica Andrade, I think her days of trying to be a contender and a champion might be over. And now she's just a Ronin. She's like a, a hit woman. You know, you just call her up when you need her. It doesn't matter what division. She'll come in. She'll give you an honest fight. A lot of times she's going to jack someone up. But, uh, you know, this, this, I don't want to really make too many excuses because I, I just thought Panda had a great game plan. I, I thought uh, she was a lot quicker than I remember her being. I don't know mm-hmm. if she worked on her explosiveness or what, but uh, she was a video game character out there. Yeah, she did look good, man. And for Panda, she's now won two in a row, Andrade and Mex- uh, Mackenzie Dern. And before that, she had lost two in a row, Marina Rodriguez and Carlos Farza. Um, and that ended like a six-fight win streak in the UFC where she beat Claudia Gadelia, Carolina Kovacevic, Angela Hill, and a few other ladies. So... She's been all about the streaks, but right now she's flying high out of that Team Alpha Male in Sacramento. They're kind of on a roll, too. Um, perhaps Rose Namajunas can play her popularity card and railroad Jan Janan's you know, t- title aspirations because Rose Namajunas owns wins over Jean Wei Li, so she can play that card if she wants to. Rose has also talked about going to 125. And then there also Rose is someone who just doesn't fight too often either. So sometimes she can just be kind of pushed aside while the division moves on. I don't know what's going to happen. But, again, I know that she hasn't taken a fight yet. She is a uh, looking to possibly debut at 125. But if I'm Rose, I cash in on those John Wei Lee wins and mm-hmm. just jump out in there now that Carla Esparza is out of the way. Um if she doesn't, then you're looking at China versus China in the strawweight division. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the road to take. And with uh, Carla Sparza, we just don't really know where her career, her career is at right now, right? She's pregnant. We don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, so, yeah, with her out of the way, I think it leaves a little bit of an opening. Yeah, I would agree. More, more life. Jan Janan is now 17-3, and three, and this is her biggest win ever. That finish was epic. Mozart Evloev defeated Diego Lopez. Lopez, hey, look, we're taking the fight on short notice. He looked good. Apparently, he's going to get some extra cheddar as well. But he made some fans. And count me in that group. I'm a fan of that guy. That guy showed a ton of heart. He would not go away, Goes This guy was attacking mm-hmm. Evloev to the last second. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, he really just took that, that opportunity and, and ran with it. And you do, you know, maybe, yeah, the the kid does have maybe some holes here and there, but I, I just feel like if a 100% uh, cat was out there, I'm not saying that fight would have gone differently, but I think it would have really, really uh, given him some problems. Ev- 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 uh, you could tell he was a little rattled from all that. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, speaking of Lopez and Evlo, Ev, they did get fight of the night. Jan Jonan and Matt Favola, they got performance of the night. So there's your bonuses. The first fight on the main card, Charles Jordan versus Crone Gracie. Man, Crone Gracie may have lost a fan. I, Diego Lopez gained a fan in me. Crone Gracie mm-hmm. may have just lost a fan in me, and I'll tell you why. 
he just didn't seem like he was into it all week. Um, he doesn't put much into the media that he does. He's not much of a social media guy. And then after being gone for four years, I was just expecting a better performance. This guy didn't even want to throw a strike. He just wanted to clinch or pull guard. Um, his wrestling was didn't even show up much. So him taking matters into his own hands and trying to get Jordan down, you know, there, there wasn't much coming from that end. Jordan was just out there basically picking him off slowly but surely. But Gracie just looked disinterested. And I frankly, he, I think he's probably going to get cut. To tell you the truth, he, he doesn't look like he wants to even be, be a mixed martial artist, man. I wouldn't be shocked if he did because that's just, uh, for one, the performance was just very, very poor. And two, you're right. He just didn't really seem to want to be there. Like, uh, there was no plan B at all. It was plan A, and that's it. And you just can't do that at this level, not not at the highest level uh, in the UFC, let alone on a pay-per-view, right? Like, that that's uh, you can't have that show up. If the casual fan is showing up watching that, they're wondering, what the hell is going on here? Like, these guys don't even look like they should be fighting each other. Uh, one guy just looks like he pulled them off the street. Like, it, it just it's, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't add up. Yeah, he did look. A, he did have a little bit of that homeless look. He had a, he had a jacket that almost looked like the kind Rambo was wearing in in uh, First Blood. Like mm-hmm. like literally, he had just come back from a war, or he just got released from prison, and they go here. Here's a hundred bucks. Here's a bus ticket, and here's some clothes. Get out of here. You know, like I don't know. Um, yeah. He lives in Montana now. He's he was this guy was a SoCal guy. You know, Vixen Gracie, one of the legendary figures. In the Gracie family, in the sport of mixed martial arts, and definitely in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world, that's his pops, you know? But um, he fought like his pops did like 30 years ago. And there's just no evolution from that side of the family. I mean, like, in his corner was Damian Maya. Damian Maya was a great Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. But guess what? He also immersed himself in wrestling and he would chain wrestle. He'd get you against the fence. He had a sequence of attacks where he'd kind of grab your leg and pull it, you know, and and and, and take you down that way. But Kron was more like, oh, take me down. Fall into my guard. Butt scoop. Mm-hmm. Like, this was tactics from, like, 30 years ago. Hey, you know what? Work on your wrestling and get him down and be in top position. <laughs> take matters into your own hands. But he, he, he just didn't do that. He didn't do that. And... I'm all, frankly, I'm tired of talking about him at this point, so I, I just want to move on. Matt Farola, that guy, man, now that guy's improved. His striking was money. Um, he looked great. Then Drew Dover started to take over, and then Matt Farola just put it on him. Now, I also thought this fight was stopped a bit early, but I'm not going to die on that hill. Like I, I said what I had to do say on Saturday, um, and I stand by it. But you know, even Dover's congratulated him, and we're just we're turning the page. But Matt Favola, he set the tone, man, for Team Sarah Longo. You know, later on, his teammate Algernon Sterling obviously finishing capping off the night. But Favola, man, he really was one of the guys that stole the show this weekend. He had a great, great call out too of Patty Pimlet, so he won the crowd over. I feel like Pimlet gets called out just about every uh, event. It's pretty hilarious, but. 
uh, yeah, that was a good performance. And, you know, it's in front of the home home crowd, right? They had a lot of people there. So good on him. You know, people are going to remember him. And if they don't, they're going to remember that steamroller chant that doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Ken Kennedy and Zetrakuru defeated Devin Clark via submission. Uh, Chaos Williams defeated Rolando Bedoya, who, by the way, I'm a Bedoya fan now because that guy wouldn't go away. And this guy took the, the fight on short notice. But um, I think he got a lot of love from people. It was a split decision, by the way. I don't know about 30-27, Bedoya. That was, a, that was, that was a, crazy. Well, one of the judges had it. Who was that guy? I got it right here. It was Derek Cleary. Yeah, I knew it. Derek Cleary. Um, 29-28 was maybe a push, but acceptable. But either way, I, the thing I got out of Bedoya more than anything was this guy's UFC ready. He's tough, man, because chaos is a nightmare in round one. And this guy weathered the storm. Then he started to turn the tide, but he just couldn't pull it off. Uh, Werner Jandaroba smothered Marina Rodriguez. She got a unanimous decision to win there. Park Reporter defeated Waxton Smith. Ikram Ali Sikharov defeated Phil Haas. Claudio Rivero defeated Joseph Holmes. You already got the bonuses. There's your recap of UFC 288, which had a gate of $5.1 million and an attendance of 17,600 uh, approximately. Yeah. It was, uh, wasn't my favorite card of the year, but it wasn't terrible either. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, over at one championship, Demetrius Johnson defeated Adriano Marias. He now is the winner of that trilogy, and um, he keeps adding to his legacy. He did not retire. Doesn't mean he's not going to, but at least at that moment, much like Cejudo, he didn't do it then. So maybe he felt good and feels like there's just more to give. Who knows? The guy's obviously a legend, first ballot Hall of Famer, but he, um, you know, you got to give Marias his respect. Marias finished Johnson one time. Then Johnson finished him back. So Marais deserved to be there. Uh, but Demetrius was just, you know, the, the better fighter across 25 minutes. It's funny because both him and Henry Cejudo teased retirement, but they both kind of left us with the show me the money. Right. And I don't know if that's something they are friends. Uh, you know, maybe that's something they talked about. But uh, they both left us with that same impression. And so if you look at Demetrius Johnson, he might not be the same Mighty Mouse of old, but he's still a damn good fighter. And it was important to win that trilogy. That was a big deal for him and for his legacy. Mm-hmm. So I get why he fought. The fight was, I don't want to say it was a dud, but it just he did just enough and he stayed out of trouble. Uh, I don't know. Both guys didn't give me the feeling, Demetrius Johnson in a win and Henry Cejudo in a loss, that they're willing to walk away from the sport that way. Um, I think there's a little bit more life in DJ. I think he will get paid because one championship needs some of these guys, some of these big names that uh, you can fall back on. And Henry Cejudo, I just did. There's nothing about him. The dude's a gamer, you know, like. I think he lives for these types of situations. I think he lives for proving people wrong. I, I think he comes back as well. I hope so. 
And now Demetrius Johnson knows that Chachi's got $20 million to give to someone after yeah. they were revealed that he met with uh, Nganu and, you know, presented them an impressive package to sign with one championship that was declined. But he said it himself, man. We offered him some good money, so maybe DJ can get some of that. Road Tank Jit Moon Young defeated Edgar Juarez Tavares. This was um, a Muay Thai match at 135 pounds. And it was a title fight. So congrats to the champ. Mikey Musumufi defeated Osama Al-Marwai via the submission. This was grappling. Stamp Fairtex defeated Elise Anderson in MMA with a kick to the liver that stopped Elise pretty much right away. She crumbled to the, cr to the ground and didn't get up. So uh, this is a huge MMA win for Stamp Fairtex. Uh, Sebastian Kadistan defeated Roberto Soldich, who was a big free agent signing for one championship. So rough start for uh, Roberto Soldich. Kind of reminds me of Eddie Alvarez. He kind of stumbled out of the gate as well mm -hmm. for one championship. Sage Northcutt, after four years, defeated Ahmed Mujawa. On La Song defeated Rong Fan. Ty Rutolo defeated Henier de Ritter. And this was in grappling. And then lastly, Jackie Boutan defeated Deandra Martin. Um, sorry, there's a couple more here. Kyrat Akumov defeated Reese McLaren, and Ray Yoon Oak defeated Lowen Tananis. Yeah, overall, the uh, they had a good crowd. You know, they had the stage. Overall, the fights were, were pretty decent. Uh, the grappling had kind of a nice um what's it called reaction i think from the fans you know certain positions they they got it uh so i thought it was a good debut for for one championship the the main event wasn't their greatest fight but throughout the card they they give you a lot of stuff so that's not it wasn't too bad yeah and that's all we can expect from one because it was a good card it was a solid card they had some talent but no one knows much about it so it's hard to get into it if there's others that aren't there with you pushing it you know pushing the narrative and getting you excited and it was tough on friday night honestly because you know like i say baseball's in full swing nhl and nba are in the playoffs so like we got options man and we live in vegas mm -hmm. it's the weekend there's there's options to do things um i think for it being its first card i think one came strong and and that's good but yeah they um if this is their plan going forward in North America, then they gotta. I, I think they gotta feature their their top cats every single time. Champions, former mm -hmm. champions, title challengers, get them all in there. Um, okay, so that's one fight night. What was it? Ten, I believe. Demetrius, I did want to get a thought from you on Stan Fairtex versus Elise Anderson. That kick to the liver was pretty nasty. Now, this is one where when Elise went down, <laughs> it looked like it was pretty brutal. So <laughs> I'm not going to harp on her the way I did with Ryan Garcia. Like, why didn't you get out? I mean, she looked like she was down for the count. And the referee yeah. had to make sure that she didn't get stole on because she was laying there. Because you can get stole on until the referee does something about it. Unlike in boxing where it becomes a standing eight count. 
But what were your thoughts on that kick that's going to go down as a possible fight of the month candidate, in my opinion? I mean, she just she hit, she hit the off switch on, on a human being. You know, the same way you hit your switch and the light goes out, that's what happened to Elise. And the, the part that kind of sucks about it is Elise is giving her hell. She was in her face. She was throwing some 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 bombs and connecting. It was a, a decent fight for her up until that moment. And Stamp just absolutely folded her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, very impressive. Stamp Fairtex is one of the top lighter weight female fighters out there at one championship, along with Angela Lee and Zhang Jinong. So definitely keep an eye on her. Um as far as going back to the UFC, there are there is a little bit of news that I wanted to cover before we bounce on out of here. Uh, it's definitely unfortunate, but one of the lo- most consistent lightweights the UFC's ever had, and of the last 10 years or so, Tony Ferguson was arrested for DUI after flipping his truck in LA. And so there's video of this, there's, you know, pics. He... Um, he messed up. He messed up bad. Now, he does have access to probably good attorneys who can maybe save his ass from having to go to jail. But, you know, being drunk and then hitting two cars, acting like a jerk with the police, flipping the truck, not good. Not a good look. No, it's terrible. And there's just there's no excuse for it. You know, in this day and age, like how much evidence do you need out there of people ruining their lives this exact way? Not just ruin their, their own lives, but other people's lives. It, it sucks for to even have to talk about it for him to go down this route. But uh, hopefully he, he can get some help because that, that's just shit. It really is. And it's a big mess up because for one, he has the means right, to order an Uber, mm-hmm. a Lyft, and um, probably even just call a teammate or a coach and say, hey, I messed up. Can you come get me? Yeah. Uh, you know, he can afford a taxi. I mean, this was just a bad decision to get behind the wheel. I mean, he flipped this truck over. It's a really, really nice truck, but, like, this is uh, – this is beyond a point oh eight on the you know whatever it is that they use to what's it called when you blow into the um, blood alcohol level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a name, but breathalyzer. Yeah, yeah, the breathalyzer. Like this is this is worse than that because of the the accident and him acting like a jerk with the cops. And this isn't nineteen eighty three or nineteen. 93, I mean, like, we all kind of have a whole generation's worth of knowing about this, whether it's our the people that are our age, the people that are older than us, some of the people that are younger than us, like, DUIs are a real thing, man. And on Cinco de Mayo weekend, wake up, wake the fuck up. Like, seriously, mm-hmm. uh, what did you think was going to... Well, it's not like he went to a DUI checkpoint, right? But right. seriously, like, if he didn't crash, there's a good chance he might have to go through a checkpoint. So why put yourself in this position? This, this seems like a rookie mistake. You know, this is a guy that is going to a Harvard affiliate. 
He's done well for himself in MMA. Um, kind of shed the, the label of what happened a few years ago where we thought maybe he was, you know, losing it a little bit with those stories of, you know, him just acting acting out, acting different, you know, on the domestic side. Uh, I'm not talking about domestic abuse. I'm just talking about the, the, the you know, the wife, had, I think, had a restraining order or she called the cops on him because he just wasn't being himself, thought he might he, won't, he might even be a threat to himself. We're, we're a few years removed from that. Um, and so now in his later years, because he's 39, you would think, well, maybe he can win a couple fights on the way out. Maybe he'll make a Hall of Fame. Maybe not. I don't know. But instead, this guy's regressing, not just athletically, but also as a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. He's got a family too. He's got a kid. I think he might even have two. Like you're acting like a freshman in college. You know, you should mm-hmm. know better, Tony. Tony Ferguson. Um. All right. Uh, aside from that, you know, I don't think there's too many other things we're going to cover on this show right here. Oh, I apologize for that. For some reason, I have my volume up here on uh, some of the videos that are just playing as I'm. Kind of scrolling and making sure that we don't, we we don't miss anything. Brandon Marino, by the way, did call for a non-title fight against Henry Cejudo, and Brad Okamoto suggested, "What about Cejudo versus well, Max Holloway?" And I thought, "Yeah, two guys that are kind of in no man's land. Sure, that might work out." So anyway, all these stories, the stuff that we pick up from you know, scanning social media, the stuff that we have researched for our own reporting, it can all be found on MMA Junkie. The team is always busy giving you as much content as possible, and it's all relevant content, uh, not just UFC, one championship, Bellator, PFL, bare knuckle. It's all there. Even We even had a story about Canelo Alvarez, uh, the decision that he had over John Ryder here in Las Vegas, but check it out. It's also free on all mobile devices and on tablets if you want to just subscribe to our app. Thanks again to everybody that was um, part of the watch along on Saturday. We're already committed to the next couple all the way through International Fight Week. So count on the one in June, which is June 10th, and then July 8th. Both of those watch alongs, Goes and I will can tell you right now that they are happening. So count on it. And, uh, yeah, again, one last plug for Spinning Backlink, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Mondays, catch it live. You can uh, participate in the chat room that we have. All right, folks, have a good night. Hope you had a nice weekend. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. See you.